You're listening to ReachMD XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician Roundtable. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, your host, and with me today is Dr. Mary Simmerling. Dr. Simmerling received her Ph.D. in philosophy from the University of Illinois at Chicago. She is currently Director of Research Integrity at the University of Chicago, where she's also a senior fellow in the McLean Center for Clinical Medical Ethics and an associate in the Department of Surgery Section of Transplantation. Thank you, Dr. Simmerling, for visiting with us today. Thank you, Dr. Pickard, for inviting me. Uh, Today, I'd like to talk about some of the ethical issues, but before we start in it, I'd like you to define some terms for us so that uh, the doctors can know how we're using them. I'd like you to describe the difference between a directed and non-directed donor, solicitation, and public solicitation. But we can take them one at a time. Could you describe the difference between directed donation and non-directed donation? Directed donation and non-directed donation of organs to recipients happens with both organs from deceased donors and organs from living donors. Um, A directed organ donation, uh, if it's a deceased donor, what happens is the, the family can direct the organ or the person who has recently died can, before they die, direct an organ to a particular person they want that organ to go to. So, for example, um, a couple of months ago, there was a, a gentleman who died, and he knew that his best friend for many, many years needed an organ transplant, and they found out ahead of time that he was a match for his friend. And so when he died, he directed his kidney to his friend, to be, to be allocated to his friend. If he hadn't directed his organ to his friend and he had still been a donor, that donation would have been considered a non-directed donation. And for a non-directed donation of a deceased donor, what happens with that organ is it goes into the national or the regional pool, but it's also held nationally, and it gets distributed according to the allocation scheme uh, that's been established by the United Network for Organ Sharing, the national uh, organization that holds the contract for the organ transplantation and uh, organ procurement and transplantation network. For living organ donors, the vast majority of living organ donors are directed donations, and that is because they come in to be evaluated for donation with a particular candidate in mind that they want to give the organ to. And in the vast majority of cases, it's someone to whom they are either emotionally or biologically related. Recently, in the last couple of years, there haven't been very many non-directed living organ donors that have come forward. However, that trend has been reversing lately, and there are more people who are coming forward to to consider being a, a living donor. Could you say a little bit about public solicitation for donating? Public solicitation has gotten a lot of attention recently, um, and in fact, uh, much attention about two years ago when a billboard was put up in Texas by a man who needed a liver, and his family rented this billboard space, and the billboard said, Todd needs a liver. And they requested anybody who could to direct the organ to, their organ to Todd um, at death. And there was a lot of controversy surrounding this kind of public solicitation, and it happens in other ways besides just billboards. It happens also when people in smaller settings and in, uh, for example, the community or a church group or other settings, and also more recently on the Internet, solicit these organs. What was really troubling a lot of people in the case of Todd, and Todd needs to deliver in the billboard, is there was a lot of worry that um, the family and this person were using their uh, socioeconomic wherewithal, as it were, 
to jump ahead of other people on the waiting list who might not be able to afford to put a billboard up and ask for a liver and to put a, their face on the billboard and make a, a public appeal. And there was a lot of worry that it was unfair somehow and that they were jumping ahead of other people on the list. Uh, and in fact, this young man did get, an, did get a liver and he did get it ahead of where, what he would have gotten on the list. He, he had a family direct deliver to him. Well, do you think that that's really a level playing field? Uh, even as far as the Internet is concerned, there are certain people who don't have access to the Internet. There are people who invest in a web uh, page, and a, a certain part of the population doesn't have access to that. This is an excellent point, um, and I think, I think it's an important point to keep in mind, but I, but I think it's, it can also be a red herring in this area, and, and that's because... Uh, we, we tend to think of transplantation as kind of the one area where everything is fair and where we have equal access, that everyone has equal access to organs because they're publicly held goods. And uh, after the passage of the National Organ Transplant Act and the Uniform Anatomical Gift Act, it really looked like everybody would have equal access. Uh, and this was kind of a response to the dialysis movement when they had the God Committee in Seattle where we, had, we didn't have enough dialysis machines and so hard choices were being made about who would and wouldn't have access. And, and the whole area of end-stage renal disease and, and dialysis and kidney transplant came to be seen as an area where there was equal access um, kind of unequivocally. But the reality is that organ transplantation takes place within the medical context and it's part of a larger medical system. And so the idea that we would have a, a fundamentally unequal healthcare system where people don't have equal access to everything in healthcare that they need, the idea that one of the most expensive things that happens in healthcare, which is organ transplantation, uh, liver transplant can cost you about $300,000 just for the transplant, and that doesn't include the several hundred thousand dollars in follow-up costs and medications and everything in the first year following transplant. Most people can't afford that unless they have really good insurance and unless they're very well positioned to be able to count on a, a whole system to, to help support them through this. And so picking out someone being able to rent space on a billboard as the kind of um, the, the glaring error uh, or the glaring inequality in this area seems like it's not the right direction to be looking in. Um, transplant medications can cost two to $3,000 per month for kidneys. And when you think about the fact that you've got to be able to show that you can keep the organ functioning in order to be able to get in line to get the organ, it really changes how you think about this equality thing. If you're just joining us, you're listening to ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and our guest today is Dr. Mary Simmerling. We're discussing ethical issues in transplant. Thank you again, Dr. Simmerling, for being with us. We talked about solicitation. Do you think that there is a positive in that it is increasing awareness among the public where it wouldn't normally hear about these types of issues? Well, that's something that was definitely raised, an issue that was raised after uh, a lot of the attention was drawn to this case of Todd Needs a Liver, but there was also a lot of concern that it would be ultimately a negative impact because there's a worry that if that people start out believing it's fair and if they feel like it's not fair, that they'll be less likely to donate their organs. And so there's a worry that there might be an overall drop in the number of people who are donating organs in general. Now, we, we haven't seen any numbers that really show that in the last six years, there has been a 30% increase in the overall number of 
uh, organs from deceased donors in the United States. And so we're not really seeing uh, any negative trend, and there's been almost no change, uh, small changes in the number of living organ donors. That's, it's remained pretty constant, and we get about half of the organs from living donors and about half of the organs from deceased donors. Do you think, though, that this process does bypass the fair allocation uh, policy that's been established? Well, uh, you mean the process of solicitation? Yes. It definitely bypasses the allocation system that we have in place in this country. The real question we should be asking is whether or not that system itself is fair. So it is definitely a way to bypass the system, um, but it's not clear to me that the current system is really fair given the fact that we don't just have the national deceased donor waiting list of people, so we have uh, more than 95,000 people right now listed on the United Network for Organ Sharing's waiting list. But there are many, 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 many people who never even get onto the waiting list because they wouldn't be able to keep their organ functioning or they have a, um, they're at a, a status where they're not considered a good candidate for transplant. And so the list is just a partial uh, a partial view of the actual people who really uh, would qualify for transplantation. You know, the living donor goes through a lot of expenses. They miss time from work. They may have medical complications. They may have trouble with caregivers, uh, child care. Why shouldn't a donor be compensated? So one of the worries in terms of reimbursing even is that unless there are reimbursements for actual costs, um, that there may be some other additional costs kind of slipped in. So when egg donation first was um, being done, there were costs that were included in the reimbursement for egg donors that included, um, you know, not just time off of work or time out of school, but um, compensation for discomfort and for having to go through the process in the first place and these kind of intangible um, costs. And so I think one of the worries in terms of reimbursement for transplantation expenses, so for living donors to reimburse for, for uh, anything they might have lost in order to become a donor, uh, people worry that it really is just sales by another name. Um, but there was a, there was a donor re uh, recently who had to take two months off of work uh, for a liver transplant, and his, his recovery required about two months off of work. He had to fly to the hospital, the transplant center, to... Um, to do the transplant, he needed to stay in a hotel with his with his um, some of his family while he was there, and so there there really were a lot of costs: fourteen thousand dollars in wages, and then airfare and and hospitalization and everything else. And I think that this is something that's that's getting a lot more attention now. Is it seems unfair in some ways to ask these people to come forward and do this, and to to do so at some cost to themselves. I mean, the comparison is made that only the poor will be the ones who will be manipulated into selling an organ. And they use the comparison that our volunteer army that exists now is really an army of the poor, and that the poor are more vulnerable in both instances. Well, that's true, and I think, I think that it's something that's, that we need to, to be really careful about. Um, certainly in places where transplantation is done and their donors are paid for their organs, I'm not even sure we should call them donors, where people are paid for their organs, um, it, it certainly looks like it is falling to the poor who, who are the ones who, who find it a desirable option to be able to do this. Now, there's a long history of debate in Chicago, actually at the University of Chicago, about whether or not people should be paid for their organs. And um, Gary Becker, who's a Nobel Prize winning, winning economist here at University of Chicago, 
has argued that it's time to lift the ban on, on paying for organs and that we're actually depriving poor people of the right to make money off of their organs by not allowing organ sales. I think Richard uh, Epstein, also at the University of Chicago, has said people with power will work the system anyway, so why not give some balance to the people who uh, can possibly benefit? If we begin to move closer to a system where people are compensated, where living donors are compensated for the loss, the financial losses they incur as a result of being donors, that might bring us a step closer to being able to engage in a, in a debate about the appropriateness of paying for organs or not. Yes, again, I'd like to thank Dr. Mary Simmerling, who has been our guest today, and we've been discussing ethical issues in transplant. I am Dr. Maurice Pickard. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233 the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.